Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your guide in moving from fine to fantastic. I love inspiring others to listen to their inner voice and encouraging them to take the steps toward fulfilling their soul. Join me here as we navigate through life transformation, moving from that place where you say everything's fine, it's just fine, but you're really feeling a deep undercurrent of suck. How do you move from there to a renewed sense of yourself? You're in the right place for stories and experiences of self-discovery and courage to help you on your journey. And you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. In this episode, I'm talking with Christy Metcalf. Christy is the founder and president of CEO Learning Systems. She's an international speaker, trainer, coach, author, and mentor with the true gift of helping clients identify what they want most, the roadblocks holding them back, and the plan to reach it. She believes that everything is figure-outable. Yes, it is. Her ultimate dream job is to one day live life in the fast lane, driving the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile around the country, meeting fascinating people and sharing their stories with the world. A family tragedy shaped her life, teaching her the importance of courage and perseverance. It also presented her with what she called a planned or arranged career. And she followed that plan, executed it perfectly, and ended up miserable. So she used the courage that had been instilled in her and became an entrepreneur. We chat about who supports you when you make decisions that don't fit other people's expectations of you using visualization to lay out your future, and the importance of getting in tune with your thoughts and feelings. Because your thoughts direct your feelings, your feelings direct your actions, and your actions direct your results. And then we get into what happens when you let your emotions control you. What does failure even mean? And finding joy in your zone of genius. Quick reminder, For community and camaraderie, come join us in the Fine is a Four-Letter Word Facebook group. Today's episode is sponsored by Zen Rabbit. When you're asking yourself, what's next for me? Who am I now in this season of life? And where do I even start figuring out my purpose? The fuck being fine experience is here for you. The next group starts in just a couple weeks. Let me take you from doing just fine and lead you to a place of unprecedented passion, clarity, and peace. I'd love to chat with you about the steps to finding the courage to do what you know you need to do. Go to zenrabbit.com to learn more or to schedule a complimentary call. Christy, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. (laughs) Hi, Lori. Let me just tell you that Christy and I have been having technical difficulties trying to get this interview recorded. And we're laughing because we have just spent the past, I don't even know how many minutes <laughs> trying to make this work. But I am, I am still eager to have Christy share her knowledge and information and her story. So we're going to start over again. Christy and I were introduced by a previous guest, Deb Coviello, who is on um, a pre- previous episode. I can't remember which which number it is, 17, I think. But go back and look for Deb Coviello's interview. 
Deb introduced Christy and me, and here we are. Here we are. Fighting I hope with you didn't technology. Have, I hope you didn't have technical problems with her. I'll but just say did. it's me. We didn't. And no, I don't think it's you. I think it's just this day. Perhaps. Okay. We're going to yes. we're going to push through and get it done though. We we are. We are. So, thank you so much for your patience and for joining me here today and let's start out with the question that I always ask my guests because I'm just so curious about what your background is and where you come from and what were the values that were instilled in you as a child that contributed to who you've become as an adult? Mm, that's such a great question. So my early life was shaped um, by a tragedy that actually happened in our family. So my, my grandfather was 22 years old. He served in the Navy during World War II, newly married. He had a six-month-old baby, which was my mom. And he came back to our hometown and worked in the steel mill. And he would bring the trains with the raw materials in to the steel facility. And one day it was raining and he jumped up on the train to grab hold of the side, he slipped and his leg went under the train and it cut it off at the knee. And um, a tragic accident. And yet six weeks later, he went back to work with with a prosthetic leg. And I think that that really shaped my mom's childhood and it shaped, I know, my childhood. And so some of the values from that lesson, you know, was courage, obviously, but perseverance, pushing through, um, hard work, don't give up, and find a way. And I really like when I think about that, um, it really did shape my childhood and who I am today as an individual. Those are all super strong and (laughs) what somebody would consider positive qualities, but did they ever take on a, a more, a negative, you know, pressure? Yeah. I mean, a life of their own, right? I like to say that anything maximized can become a liability. And I really, as I think about that, right, the, well, first of all, trying to measure up, like if, if you have a family member that's gone through a tragedy like that and overcome these unsurmountable odds and is basically living this life, you feel like anything that you are, um, in your life that's not going your way is just minuscule, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that there's another side of it where, you know, always find a way, don't give up. But there are times where you have to give up, right? There are times where you push through and you're exhausted and you're tired and for your own self-care and self-sanity that it's time to walk away from it. And growing up, I learned to put on the mask and to be stoic and to show up right? Whether mm-hmm. you feel like it or not, you fake it till you make it. And I think that there's a really dark side to that. Yeah. Because then you're putting pressure on yourself. You're first of all, you're not necessarily taking care of yourself when you need yep. to, you're putting pressure on yourself to accomplish. Right. When maybe, like you said, maybe you do need to step back. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're always told never, ever, ever, ever give up. Right. And sometimes you're beating your head against the wall and you need to turn around and look and see if there's something else that you could do differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe is- it's a simple pivot and maybe it's like in my case, when I was running my baking company, shut the whole thing down because That's this right. is not serving you. Yeah. Well, and you know, there's that other side of it. Like you can, you can continue pushing yourself 
until you look back and you're like, am I happy doing this? Like, I think mm-hmm. that's ultimately the question, right? Right. Like, I think all of us have it within us to be great and do extraordinary things, but are we happy doing those things? And that's the, the question to be answered. If we're not, if we get to a point, which I, I love the name of the podcast, right? Fine. If we're just at a point where we're fine and we're not living life to its fullest or its greatest potential, it's time to make some changes. Yeah. So have there, has there been a situation where you use those qualities and yeah. you found yourself in a situation where everything was fine and you went along for however long it was? How, tell me about that. Yeah. So I have to say, you know, from the time I was young, I was sort of groomed. I'm an only child and I was sort of groomed that this path, this um, this planned future had been laid out before me. I call it a planned, uh, an arranged career. And mm. that was, I was going to go to college. I was the first one, first generation on both sides of my family to go to college. I was going to land this amazing corporate job. And then life would just unfold in this blissful way. And I followed the plan um, entirely the way it was supposed to be. I landed a great corporate job. 11 years later, I was in the corporate office, you know, doing my dream job but completely burned out, strung out, overwhelmed. And I did not have a life. I mean, I was miserable. And um, I was standing in Kansas City, actually doing a leadership development program. And I had asked the participants when they introduced themselves to tell me something fun they did in their life besides work. Mm -hmm. And as 36 people introduced themselves, I realized I did not have anything outside of work. And I was newly married And it was just sort of this epiphany that came over me, like, how did I let this happen? And I went back and I had a conversation with my boss and I said, I can't keep this pace up. I need some life balance. And he said to me, Christy, there is no, no. And meaning this is the job. This is what you signed up for. This is what it is. And I went home and I said to my husband, I need to find the no. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was like, well, why don't you start your own company? And I people do that. I hadn't been raised in an entrepreneurial family. I'm like, is that allowed? Am I smart enough? enough? Um, And so the flip side of it is, you know, I was smart enough to do it and I could do it, but it was giving up the dream that my family had for me, Mm -hmm. right? Which on the outside, anybody who saw my life would have said, my gosh, you have an amazing life, right? You have this great job. You're traveling all the time. You live in a beautiful home. You're newly married. And yet I was so unfulfilled and I put the steps in place. I worked with a coach and really it wasn't about the expertise. I wasn't questioning the expertise. I was questioning walking away and feeling the guilt and shame from walking away from a good life to start something even better. But people didn't see that. What was it like when you had to tell your parents Because did you feel like you were disappointing them? Yes, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, you know, I can say that my friends and my family, those who I thought would be most supportive because they knew me Mm -hmm. were actually not supportive. They said, are you crazy? You're giving up the security of corporate America. You have a great job. You're going to, you know, you're going to be the one to break through the glass ceiling. Why are you doing this? Like they thought I was crazy. And every single time they say, what are you going to do if you fail? And I said, I'll go get another job, right? I mean, I, I knew I could go get another job. That's what I had already done. But at that moment, I wanted some balance in my life. I just wanted to regroup and take a pause. And I said, hey, if this entrepreneur thing doesn't work out, I'll be happy to go get another job. And that was 20 years ago. So it's amazing that I thought the people around me would be the most supportive and they actually weren't. 
Yeah, that's interesting because that happens to a lot of people. They think you would think that the people who are closest to you would be the most supportive, but they're not because you are threatening their way of yep. being. Yeah. Well, You're- and I and and honestly, I had everything that they had ever wanted, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a life that most of my family had never even dreamed of, even at 31, 32 years old. And why would I why would I throw that away? Why would I start all over? Why would I follow the unknown and mm-hmm. want to chart my own course? And I think when they say those things, now that I work with entrepreneurs, when they say those things, it's really about them, right. not about you, right? I, exactly. I can look back on it now. I didn't know that at the time, but it was really about all their fears and insecurities and doubts about doing it, not about me doing exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. And this is also why it's, so important to have friends who's and you know and talk to your friends but also why they are not necessarily the best people to help you get to that next level yeah. of where you want to go and why coaches are so important because one they're uh what's the word i'm looking for they're not a they're objective right and neutral totally neutral, neutral. that's the yep. word yeah yep and your friends, again, your friends are threatened because they have their own fears and you doing those things, whether it's in uh, taking a career step like that or changing your life in a personal way, right, makes them examine what they're doing and how they're living. And that is scary for them. It's very scary. And I like to say the people that are in our inner circle, they only know the person that we are today mm-hmm. and they can see the, the history, right? They can see the behind but they many times can't see the future. And we need to surround ourselves when we're in those huge transitions, we need to surround ourselves with people that actually see where we're going, not where we came from. Right. And where you could go, the possibilities, the possibilities of it all. Yeah. So you mentioned that you went around that room and asked people (laughs) that question and you weren't having any fun. So another thing that I hear from a lot of people is, I don't even know what fun is anymore. I've said it myself. Yeah, I have too. What did you do to discover that? Because obviously taking, going out on your own and becoming an entrepreneur is, was the thing that you came up with, but that's still business. That's still career business. What did you also find fun things to do? Absolutely. So, you know, when I sat down and looked at my life holistically after that day, I looked at what was missing that I envisioned in my perfect life, Mm. right? And what was missing was I was not a part of the community that I lived in. I wasn't even part of the neighborhood that I lived in. So my husband and I had lived there four years. We had moved to Columbus, Ohio for this job, for me to take this job. And immediately I hit the ground running. And I can look back and see where some of the chaos I created myself. So I was doing a career transition. I was going from sales into sales training and development. And I wanted to prove myself. I was hell bent on becoming the expert. So I had 30 certifications and I did the the trips and anything that they needed somebody to do, I wanted to do it because I I wanted to prove that I should be there. And that actually ended up working in against me, right? I then became this highly qualified, trained person that everybody wanted. And that's how I ended up saying yes to all of these things. So I was my own worst enemy, but I sat down and I looked at, okay, what were the things in my life that were most important that I envisioned being in that perfect life that were no longer there. And so a sense of community, being a part of my neighborhood, 
Um, my husband was married, but living a single life because I was traveling Monday through Friday. I wanted to know my neighbors. I wanted to belong to a church. I wanted to volunteer in the community. Like all of those pieces were very important to me. And so from that, once I had that clear picture, I was like, okay, then how do I design this next step to have those Mm -hmm. pieces in it rather than to defaulting to the crazy that I've just come out of? And I think many times we do default, right? We lived in this dysfunctional system and then we come out, we start our own businesses, but we redesigned what we just left. Because that's all we know. That's all we know, right? Instead of redesigning what we truly want on our own terms. Yes. And being intentional about it and being intentional about it. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Yes. How, what were the, so you sat down and said, all right, this is what I visualize. Yep. And then I created a plan. So I spent about six months really putting that plan together Uh, financially, you know, part of my business plan was financially, we did not have kids, we paid all of the bills off except for our house. So we were in a good financial place, we set some very low goals, like I needed to make $10,000, you know, in the last quarter of the year, I I actually left and started my business in um, October. And so it was like minimal goals, but still goals that I had to work, right? So I, the the whole goal in the beginning was to create this balance. And I have to say, it was so scary the first day that I was out of the corporate job and I was home because that's reality, right? Everybody I know is working. Mm-hmm. I have I have now, just because I hung a shingle out and I said, this is my new job, doesn't mean that I actually believed that. In fact, I, I yeah. tell the story all the time of how every quarter I would send a tax return in, you know, because it's business owners, we do quarterly taxes and I would sign my signature and then it says title and I would put president. And for years, every quarter, I was afraid the IRS was going to call and say, what? You're really not a president of a company, right? So it takes a while to like step into that skin Uh of that new role, whatever that new role is. You know, I think about when I had kids stepping into that mother role, stepping into that wife role, stepping into a partner role or a business owner, like it's a transition. It's not just overnight. And I've always used this phrase. It's in a book called Managing Transitions. And he says, you know, transitions begin with endings and end with new beginnings. And in the middle, all the emotion that we don't stop to realize is going to happen. And I've always remembered that. Yes. So how do you address that emotion? Because again, people are conditioned to not feel. I've I've had conversations with so many of my guests and clients and just people I talk to who have actually grown up not been and been the value instilled in them was we don't have emotions or we don't express them. We stuff them down. And like you were talking about, we just keep going on. You didn't say that that was part of your family, but, but the, you know, nose to the grindstone, we don't, we don't do feelings. That's exactly right. Yeah. My family wasn't total opposite of that, but, um, but we did, you know, we did push through and I would like to say that today I am much healthier in the way that I handle those emotions and transitions than I was in my early thirties when I started my business. But you know, one of the things is there's tremendous power with sitting in the discomfort Mm -hmm. and we try to fill the discomfort. I actually call it buffering. 
and buffering, I think of it as the spinning wheel of death on a computer, right? When, yes. when it's trying to get to a page and it's just buffering and it's action, but it's not good action. And so when we feel uncomfortable, we reach for things that make us feel better in the moment, right? We shop yeah. online, we drink, yep. we zone out on Facebook, we veg out in front of the TV on Netflix for four hours, yeah. you know, and it makes us feel good in the moment, but overall it's not fixing the problem. And, and I say, you know, have a glass of wine, do whatever it is you want to do, but don't get caught in the endless loop to where you're living there and not right. moving forward. So now I recognize it, you know, I don't eat the whole bag of M&Ms when I'm feeling the discomfort. <laughs> I don't, I, um, I find healthier options. Maybe it's just a handful of M&Ms versus the whole bag, but it's recognizing that. And I think, you know, many times with age comes wisdom yes. in that I've learned all of those skills and coping mechanisms through the years. Yeah. Do you use any, uh, any tools now, like journaling or meditation or how, how do you keep yourself grounded and focused now? Yeah, I, I do um, both actually. So I start my morning off with journaling and then I do meditation a couple of times throughout the day and it's becoming very centered and present as to how I'm feeling at that moment. And, um, and just understanding, you know, one of the things I've taught emotional intelligence for years and I've tried to teach both of my young children that emotions are not good or bad. They just are mm -hmm. right. And they're all there to serve a purpose. You know, fear is there to protect us. We want to feel fear. Anger is there to protect us. Um, all of the emotions are there for a reason and we have to allow each of them to surface and then understand where are they coming from? You know, what thoughts are creating those emotions that I'm feeling and do I want to allow them to control me or do I want to change the story about them? Yeah. And, and, and how long am I going to let myself sit and stew and wallow in the self-pity and then pull myself out of it and go forward? Right. I just saw something recently too about emotions. So you said emotions serving a purpose, yep. emotions as a, an indicator. Yeah. As a, it's our uh, warning signal, right? right Actually, right. you know, emotions um, start firing off the limbic system in our, in our reptilian brain. And they're actually warning systems. That's why we feel them. Like our body goes through a natural change whenever those feelings come up, you know, and if, if we are scared and self-protection, like all of the body emotions, like the reptilian brain and the respiratory all go into protecting us. So they are there. Now we have as human beings and evolved human beings, we have to decide, right. Am I really in fear uh, and need protection or is it a false fear that's coming up? And we have to recognize that, right? It's no longer I'm running from the saber tooth tiger, but I could be stressed and overwhelmed giving off the same indicators. Right. And as is this fear, I'm physically in right. harm's way or it's just something I don't feel comfortable right. doing. Is it emotionally case, uncomfortable? Yeah. yeah. And in which case, Oftentimes feeling that fear means yeah. you have to move forward towards the thing. Like that's the indicator is absolutely that's the thing you need to do because that's where your growth is. Yeah. Yeah. So when I work with clients, I actually take them through a whole, we call it the thought download model and they become very in tune to their thoughts and their feelings because your thoughts direct your feelings, your feelings, direct your actions, your actions, direct your results. Yes. And when they feel those warning signals go off, those firing um, emotions to pause 
and think about where they're coming from because they will always give you indicators, right? It will always right. be clues. Why do I feel uncomfortable here? Why am I feeling afraid? Why am I feeling angry? And it really is the whole premise is to become so self-aware that you can, you're not going to mitigate completely the emotion being fired off, but you can mitigate how long you stay in that emotion. Right. Yeah, exactly. And recognize whether that's truly your own emotion mm -hmm. or is that coming from someplace else that it yep. was passed down to you? Absolutely. Peeling back the onion. And is this something that I picked up because of my childhood or is this something that's truly I want to hang on to? And, you know, I've, I've had several times like that, like one of my biggest fears is being embarrassed, you know, like literally mm -hmm. looking like an idiot in front mm -hmm. of a group of people and not looking smart and embarrassing myself. And so there were times earlier on in my career when I was younger that if someone would question something that I had done or said, right, those warning signals would fire off. Oh my gosh, I'm looking stupid right now. And it has nothing to do with that. It's just, they were asking for clarification. Right. Yeah. I could completely relate to that. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Don't, why, why are you questioning me? Right. Question me. Yep. And, and I've had the opposite, the opposite happen. I remember at one of my very first jobs, I was asking a lot of questions. I tend to ask it, which is why I love doing my podcast because I get to ask questions, <laughs> <laughs> but because I'm genuinely curious. Yeah. And this woman who was my new boss would take offense because she thought I was questioning her authority or her ability, intelligence, yeah, her intelligence. But I genuinely just wanted to know because I was new. I didn't know anything. I wanted to know everything. Yeah. And those were all about her. Yeah. Right? Not about you. Right. Not at all. And I, you know, through the years, I have learned that I cannot control other people's thoughts, what they think about me, what they feel about me. That's all on them. So I just have to do, I have to do me and let them do them. Yes, exactly. Are you, you mentioned your, your children are, I'm wondering, you know, I don't have children, but I, I wonder about this a lot of instilling when we talk about instilling values and then not worrying so much about what other people think of you and downloading that to a child's brain. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I would love to say that the work that I've done for the last 20 years has made me a better parent and I waited later in life to become a parent, but yeah, really you know, they can do them and you can do you not to get so hung up. I see it now. I have a teenager and I just see if there's this period where you want to fit in. I remember that period where right. you don't want to stand out. You want to blend. You want the shoes and the backpack and everything to look like everybody else's. And yet, you know, I'm standing over here on the sidelines saying, oh my gosh, please stand out. I want you to stand out. And she's like, I'll stand out when the time is right. So, um, it really is the, the more confidence, you know, girls yes. confidence plummets by around age 10. It's at its highest point, like to age 10, and then it starts declining. And I really hope that we are changing that for the girls who are following us in our footsteps right now. Cause I think it, it's a tragedy that they, I watch it. I was yeah. actually a chaperone on both of my girls, um, camp trips that they do with school in fifth grade. And I saw the boys volunteer first and try new things and fail quicker. And the girls would sort of hold back and just wait. And I asked the teachers, I said, is this indicative of fifth grade? And she said, yes, they, they all agreed. Yes, it is. And I want my kids to fail early. I want them not to be afraid of failure. 
not to be afraid of embarrassing themselves, you know, because failure means you're trying it. And the next time and the next time it's going to get easier. Yeah. I think it was Sarah, um, Sarah Blakely. I heard her speak, speak. She's the founder of Spanx for people who don't know who she is, but that at her dinner table, when she was growing up, her dad would always ask, what did you fail at today? Mm, I love that. I think it was her family, but somewhere somebody, yeah, that was the question. I'm going to incorporate that. I like that. Well, because we are so conditioned not to fail, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a, a, it's like a, a sword through our heart to fail, to even think about the pride and the ego. And yet life is about failure. You know, you try, if we think about all the greats, the great inventors, Thomas Edison, he failed more than he succeeded. How many times did he have to fail in order to make it work? And I think that we tend to forget that we, even in business, I see new business owners, they want to make a video and have it go viral. They want to write one, one email and have it sell millions. And it just doesn't work that way. It's right. Failure every single day, picking yourself back up and doing it again. It's really too about redefining what that word even means. Right. Because it doesn't mean it doesn't define you. First of all, failure doesn't define you, but also it just means you didn't get the outcome you were expecting. Right. And there's next time, right. Then I I actually, when I left corporate, I actually worked with a coach and that was her question how would you define failure in this next venture? What does failure look like? And I had reached a point where I said, failure is not trying. Mm. So anything else. And then she said, okay, what would failure really look like though in your business? And I said that I couldn't get one client. Like that would, that would be what failure looked like. And she said, do you think that that's possible? And I said, absolutely not. I mean, somebody would buy from me. I just knew that it wasn't possible Mm -hmm. that I had spent 11 years selling and that I could not get one person to buy something from me. So Mm -hmm. at that point, as soon as I said that, what it meant to me, what it looked like, it totally diffused it. And I was like, I can't fail. Yeah. Right. By my own standards, I cannot fail. Right. And we hear that question a lot of times, like, what would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail? Right. If you knew failure wasn't possible. Right. But taking the, the step back of what does failure even mean? Mm-hmm. And so then answering that question, like that just opens up so much possibility. Right. And that comes back to the whole, like brings the conversation kind of full circle of, of doing what you love, finding the thing that is fun right, for you. Yeah. I, I, I had someone early on in my career tell me, you know, find something that you love doing so much that you would do it for free but that you're so good at that people want to pay you to do it. Mm. And that has always stuck with me because it is about having fun and working with clients that, that bring out the best in you and you bring out the best in them. And everybody has a group of people that they're meant to serve. And when I watch new business owners say, Oh, you know, I can sell everybody. I'm like, you really don't want to, we've Mm -hmm. all worked with the difficult customer, the customer that we dreaded, you know, at the end of the the project working with, and we're like, we will never work with them again. Yeah. So it is about enjoying what you do, doing what you love, what you're good at, not focusing on what you're not good at, but focusing on what you are good at and finding those other people that compliment you in those areas that you may not have a skill set or a strength. And then you're both working in your zone of genius. Right. Building your team 
of people that you work with and building your tribe of your ideal clients. Absolutely. That's the name of the game. That is. Before we wrap this up, tell me what song you listen to when you need to get into that happy mood, when you need that extra boost of energy and, you know, the song that you can't sit still to. Yep. So the song is I've Got a Feeling by Black Eyed Peas. And I crank it and blast it and it works every single time. Good song. Good song. Yeah. I'm just seeing, I can see you in your car right now. Windows are rolled up. That's right. But you're dancing it. That's exactly (laughs) it. My kids know that that's the song. Um, If people, if we're having a bad day in the house, that is the song that is cranked up full force. And it's amazing how it will just turn it around, right? Because you cannot sit still. I love that music has the ability to do that. I know it really is. It, It music has the ability to inspire us, to create emotion within us. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. So if people want to continue a conversation with you, how, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, best way is LinkedIn. So I'm always hanging out there and, um, you know, I do work with clients. I do a small group programs. I am passionate about helping business owners, small business owners, solopreneurs, um, make money and get out of their way, get out of their head. And I work in small cohorts where it is low content, high action, high accountability to make their financial dreams and their business, everything that they want it to be. Okay. So find you on LinkedIn. Yep. Christy okay. Metcalf. Yeah. Find me on LinkedIn. Um, my website, CEO Learning Systems. I've got that going on right now. And yeah, reach out. Let's have a conversation about what the struggles and the pain points are. I have 25 years in business working with Fortune 500s all the way down to nonprofits and solopreneurs. There's probably not a question I can't answer or find somebody who can answer it for me. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining. We will put links to all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining us today on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Thanks, Lori. Today's key takeaways from this conversation with Christy are... Number one, we all have it within us to be great and do extraordinary things. But you have to ask yourself, am I happy doing those things? If you're not, and you're at a point where everything's just fine, and you're not living life to its fullest or its greatest potential, it's time to make some changes. Number two, when you start making positive changes in your life, sometimes the people you think will be most supportive are not. They might question your sanity, but those doubts are really about all their fears and insecurities. It's not about you at all. What you're doing might be making them look at what they're doing, and that's uncomfortable for them. That's why when you're in transition, you need to surround yourself with people who actually see where you're going, not where you came from. Number three, speaking of where you came from, When you are designing your next steps, it's easy to default to what you know, what you just came from, because that's all you know. So you have to be very intentional about creating your future. Take time to visualize what you want and then create a plan to make it happen. Number four, transitions begin with endings and end with new beginnings. In the middle is a lot of emotion. That emotion is not necessarily expected or comfortable. 
know there's tremendous power with sitting in the discomfort. People want to fill the discomfort. Christy called it buffering, like the spinning wheel of death on a computer when you're trying to get to a page and it's just buffering. There's action, but it's not good action. It's not fixing the problem. So sit with it, but don't get caught in the endless loop to where you're living there and not moving forward. I wanted to pull out another four or five takeaways from this chat because she said some things about defining what failure is for you and not being able to control other people's thoughts. But I also like to keep it to a manageable number here, so I had to pick just one more. Here you go. Number five, find something that you love doing so much that you would do it for free, but that you're so good at that people want to pay you to do it. It's about having fun and working with people who bring out the best in you and you bring out the best in them. Enjoying what you do, doing what you love, focusing on what you're good at, and finding other people who compliment you in those areas where you may not have a skill set or strength. And then you're all working in your zone of genius. Connect with Christy on LinkedIn or find her through her website, ceolearningsystems.com. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other women like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. And I'd love to hear what's happening in your world. Join me on social. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. And lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. Or maybe it's just before depending on where you're listening. Look for it. You'll find it because you always find exactly what you're looking for. Remember that.